Hello and welcome, Ducks fans. Where and whenever you're watching or listening, this is the Once a Duck podcast where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never-before-heard stories about your favorite moments and teams in Duck history. And you know what? We just were at the Wazoo game, and I love when we get a prediction right here and there, but I love even more when I get half a prediction right and Sam gets half a prediction right. And, you know, the outcome, I think, of the game is not quite what we were expecting really because the game was really dominated by Oregon outside of the second quarter and a couple mishaps not only by the team but the Pac-12 ref crew but we'll get into it dig into it more we are once a duck I'm your host Nick Cody at just follow 6-1 with me as always co-host Sam at Samuel 101 TS and uh, we hope you were following along with us uh, last week we thought we had a fantastic episode with Nate Costa we've got another great one this week with someone else from his same very recruiting class but Sam first and all first and foremost what were your impressions of the game what did you take away uh, and and your experience against you know Washington State was it one of the easier games to watch well you know what Nick as always, so happy to be here talking with you as we do on a at least weekly basis, if not more at this point with the amount that you've been getting down to Eugene recently. You know what, that Wazoo game, that was a lot of fun to watch. I think Oregon was easy on the eyes in a lot of different ways for a lot of that ball game. The offense looked very smooth. They were letting A.B. run at a clip that I think we hadn't even seen yet this season, and he was looking good doing it, especially early. You're right, the second quarter, it got a little messy. Oregon gave up those two scores and went into halftime tied. We all kind of had that feeling in our gut. Is this going to be another one of those Wazoo games? Nope, it ended up being just fine. Up until the tail end, they held Wazoo out of the end zone the entire second half there. They did some really good work on both sides of the ball. The line on both sides looked really great. Oregon, obviously, they've got a huge test this week, but that Washington State game was a great way to kind of get them, get them ready, get their heads on straight heading into this uh heading into a big game this weekend well and another part of that looking good and i know that you appreciate it is the white green white combo at home man we have not busted that out my my uh my rose bowl team in 2009 being the first i remember seeing that on the field and man it sure looked good a lot better than when we wore it against ohio state that's for sure but love that and uh, in fact i got a comment you on the fantastic shirt you're wearing tell tell me a little bit more about that sir Oh, you know, this is just your, uh, just the annual Oregon pit crew shirt I got on right here. You know, had to, uh, I would love to say I had to pull it out to flex it, but honestly, it was a clean shirt on top of a pile of clothes. And I was like, you know what, this will, this will pass for this episode. Nick will probably kick it over to me and I'll be able to talk about it for half a second. So, you know what? It worked. Hey, it worked, baby. Know- you know what? And you know, I was admiring it when they, when they busted out the, uh, the debut video of that, I was like, Oh man, I've been jealous of the pit crew a lot lately with the Joy Harrington videos and uh, pictures coming out and man, you wearing that there. I, I oh, love it. Love the look. It's, it's the best I've seen in years. Congrats to you, sir. And the entire students that come up with the design and, and that are there every single game up there in front. Let me come buggy every single game that I'm down there. That's been a lot of fun. And we hope, that you've been able to see us. We know that uh, just by the number of subscribers increasing, that uh, just I think our presence at games alone is getting a lot more follows, a lot more people talking about us, and a lot of people out there at the tailgate, very friendly to me, that already recognize me. 
I forget if I can't remember any of you back, but Hey, that's what, that's, that's why we give you this podcast. Some to talk about some to do and uh, some way to celebrate our ducks. And man, it's, it's been a real positive year in my mind. And I think a lot of people are letting that kind of, uh, you know, fall by the wayside with some of the headlines that end up coming up week by week. And this week, it's Micah Pittman. We got to talk about it specifically because this is once a duck, always a duck. And you see a lot of different opinions out there. But that's one thing I like to always keep in mind is we can't always be inside these players' heads. And yeah, the timing right now to leave a program that is number three in the country, potentially going for the playoffs, it's a difficult decision to make. And certainly it's hard, harder on him than anyone. But you have a lot of people that are mad about it, a lot of people upset about it, a lot of people that wish him well. All I know is it doesn't matter. This team needs to be 1-0 this week, and he's got to be 1-0 in his own self-fulfillment in his career, and best of luck to him. But, hey, how did that feel kind of reading about it and being a no-show on Monday, and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden it kind of bubbles up to getting an official statement this week from uh, not only himself but Coach Cristobal? Well, you know, Nick, right when the uh, right when the news started percolating, I put out there, I was like, you know what, if this surprises you, if this if this is a transfer that's really shocking to you, you, you haven't been paying attention much to Oregon football this season, the way they've been playing this season, the receiver room this season. It was one of those positions, and we'll see it a whole lot more in the offseason, I know for a fact, but Oregon football is getting to the point as a program where you're going to have top-tier guys who are transferring out just to get better looks and to get more attempts out there on the field. Oregon's got an extremely deep receiving room with a lot of really young guys who are active out there, who are making plays, who are getting their touches and starting to become really, really relevant parts of this Oregon football team. And a guy like Micah Pittman, he's a very talented player. We've seen that he had some big moments for Oregon, scoring the touchdown against Washington, some big catches throughout that year, including a catch on third and long in the Rose Bowl that was able to keep an Oregon drive alive that was needed to top off that game. Mike Pittman's had an impact. He's been a great duck while he's been here. Truth of the matter is, though, I'm not sure he was going to be able to get what he wanted to out of the rest of his college experience if it was here at Oregon. And to be honest, if that's how a guy feels, would you want to have that guy with you if he didn't really want to be there? I don't think it's that big a loss. If you got somebody who's like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Great. Take off. We get it. Good terms. You're all right. We appreciate the work you did here. Oregon's got a whole lot of other players, though, that are going to be able to step up into that position. This will be something you see happen again through the offseason. You will see guys transfer that when they first came to Oregon, you expect it to be a big part of this thing moving forward. You will see guys take off and it will start to happen more. And the truth of the matter is when that's happening, it's a good thing because it means you have a rotation of talent that is to such a level that you do not have to worry about one or two leaving here and there. Yeah, it's an indication of a healthy and hungry program. And there's nowhere where that is more obvious than right now, our wide receiver room, because, uh, man, there's a lot of young talent coming up just ready to go. And they've already been showing it and developing this season so much that, you know, it, it's been really exciting and also really, really hard as a receiver when really, you know, our, our real two big targets out there are uh, Williams and Die. And besides that, anything else is kind of falling off as a, as a guy down the middle or a desperation check down option here and there. And, you know, right now our offense, it, it's hard to complain from a football perspective, especially coming at it like I do as an offensive lineman. 
if we could keep getting 300 yard rushing games, I can't blame them for doing what they're doing because obviously something in the game plan, rewatching the game against Wazoo, they were not committing to playing the uh, quarterback run. They were playing the uh, give most of the way. And there were a couple designed runs that were there to set it up that way specifically once and take advantage once they knew that there was that advantage there. But you also run into the obvious, which any Oregon fan knows. You can get your quarterback hurt running them too much. But, again, in Washington State, it felt like we were getting a lot of good opportunities in the quarterback run game. And if they're going to give you those yards, you got to take them. That's just smart offense. I understand people wanting to get the downfield passing game going and, and have that working. But, obviously, right now, that's getting set up by the way we run the football. And the, the a lot of the RPO game that, you know, we get not only in the pocket but out on the move in ways that you don't see a lot around college football, not just with your downfield options, but a lot of these young tight ends we have coming across and backs coming out of the backfield while Anthony Brown is running gives you a lot of options right there. And it's been really interesting to see this offense slowly evolve, but still have that foundation of just pushing people up front and getting four or five yards whenever you want it. Well, and it was something I heard on Saturday night. Somebody was Almost, not frustrated, but they're almost maybe a little bit bored with things happening going, why is it? Why won't they throw it? Why won't they throw it? I turn around. I tell them they don't have to. Why are you going to put yourself in that position? If you don't have to, it was the same thing up at Washington. Why didn't Oregon really throw the ball? There was not really a need to, if you don't have to put yourself in that position, regardless of who's back there playing the playing the position, regardless of who's standing at quarterback, if you can just run the ball and you're picking up first downs that way, why would you not continue? Don't fix what isn't broken. If it's working, it's working. And now, Nick, I know that as this show goes, we're going to have to get to a roundabout as lightning yellow as this T-shirt here in just a second. But while we're still on the Micah Pittman conversation, yeah. obviously we understand what that means for the wide receiver room. There's a lot of bodies there. There was a question that I posed on social media this week. There's quite a few people who chimed in all with a lot of similar answers, but I'm curious what yours is. Yeah. One thing Micah Pittman was definitely doing for this Oregon team is he was back there receiving punts. He was for the majority of the season. A lot of fair catches, maybe too many in some people's mind. I'm a big fan of, hey, if you can secure the ball, you secure the ball. You do it. That being said, who do you want to see back there for Oregon with returning punts? Would you rather somebody more of a veteran, a younger guy, speed, someone you rely on? What, what are your real feelings back there for who should be picking up that role? I trust the organizational chart as, uh, as we shouldn't, as we've seen, because it's been uh, a little bit of a uh, kind of a, a mismatch there. The, there's especially up front. That's been one of the funny things is the organizational chart's been kind of misleading, but um I'd like to see seven get a chance back there a little bit more. I saw a lot of people say that one thing I saw from Twitter, I forget ah, who it was. I wish I could give credit. Somebody said, let's, you know, who cares putting offensive lineman back there. I'm going to tell you from experience, my freshman year, I went out there to take one from the jugs machine at the end of practice with everyone watching me and it did not end well. Most offensive linemen, we're we're fine when you got the ball like in our space of vision that we're used to. But I, as soon as I looked up, I knew I was in trouble, bud. And then I wasn't even in the same vicinity of where it landed. I was just there like Talladega Nights. Don't know what to do with my hands. And the ball was about five yards over my left shoulder. So, hey, you don't want that. But you, you do want someone that's great with decision making. I know that. The guys that we really trusted and guys like, you know, Kenyon Barner is one of my favorites always is because he knew when it was just important to get the fair catch in a good position or to just let it go. And, and that's a really tough decision in a split second as a fan. When you're in the stands, it might seem obvious from that perspective. But when you're there looking up, 
and you've got to have your eye on the ball and there's people running at you. It's a whole different ball game. So, you know, I trust the organizational chart. I want to see seven back there, some young guys. I, I, I mean, you know, you don't want to give right the way he's playing that many more reps in the return game. That's something you have to consider, but he is fantastic back there. And I'm sure we have a whole bunch of guys capable of it. We haven't even really seen get a chance yet. Well, you know, I, I agree with the seven McGee call. I, I was saying it in response to a lot of people. I was saying, yeah. you know what? I'm a big fan of speed, guys. If you're an Oregon fan, if you grew up an Oregon fan, you love somebody who can move around the field, whether it's in the backfield, in the slot, in the punt game, kick game. Anybody who can just be dangerous and be a threat the way that he is with the speed and the athleticism, the agility. That being said, if you do want to put a veteran back there, here's a guy whose name I only saw maybe once or twice. But I would not mind seeing a Jalen Red back there if absolutely necessary. He's another one of those super speedy guys. He's been getting more and more looks as the season has gone on. He's been a real benefit to have in the slot over the middle on a lot of those really need him kind of plays. He's a guy that I could see putting him back there just because he does have that quickness and that speed. And he's got very good vision on the field as well. Can definitely maneuver around some blocks. Yeah. That's one aspect we want to see, but you talked about it. We got to get into our lightning yellow round before it gets too late here. What are some other things you want to see specifically this week as Oregon travels to Utah? I'm putting two minutes on the clock. You're starting in three. Two and handle Utah's pressure up front. They are going to want to bring pressure. They're going to want to push hard at the point of attack. Oregon needs to stay steady in the trenches. Yeah. And I want to see on the opposite side, what we've done best this year, get pressure on the passer, make them uncomfortable. That will lead to turnovers. That will lead to bad plays. That will lead to offensive linemen that do not trust in their own pass blocking ability. And you have to take one or more players out of your potential passing game to help protect your quarterback, which still isn't going to stop the likes of Kayvon Thibodeau, who got two sacks last week. I want to see two more of this week, Sam. You know what, Nick? If we're talking about defense, something Oregon's for sure going to have to do is stop the run. I don't know if you got a chance to watch when uh, Stanford took on Utah earlier this year. My, they were giving up yards left and right, big gash plays, scores. Utah can absolutely run the ball. They've always been able to. They can do it yet again this year. That has to be stopped up front. Yeah, and we've got to be able to do the exact same thing as we've got to be able to gash them for big seven-yard runs that don't necessarily seem like much at the time, but just wears them down. And honestly, if it becomes even bigger yards than that, I'm happy because I would love to be getting memories of that Pac-12 championship game in 2019 because, man, the, that team just came out and was just fired up, ready to go. And uh, I, I think the, in that underdog situation where, uh, you know, the Ducks are getting doubted, they come out with a chip on their shoulders and just pop them in the mouth, and we could we could run it right down their throats. You know what, Nick? This feels like one of those games where regardless of how well everybody else plays, you're going to need your quarterback to really show up. Anthony Brown, I might not need 300 yards passing. I might not need 200 rushing with seven touchdowns. I just need the right decisions being made. Play smart, play effective, play for another day, play for another life. Perfect. Love it. Right there in two minutes, and I think at least we're 1-0 on this week. Let's hope the team is. So let's wrap up the Wazoo game before we talk about too much of uh, Utah. We have a, a couple matchups to talk about that in our past. We don't get to play them all that often, even though it would be fantastic too. But wrapping up on Wazoo, I think uh, one of the things that at least encouraged me the most 
is the feeling in Autzen Stadium was a lot different than when I remember that Cal game. And I think there is, there's still a little bit of frustration, but there is confidence that we can get it done at the end of the day. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people were on the side of Anthony Brown on that fumble that was ruled a fumble when, it, in my opinion, he clearly crossed the goal line, but Pac-12 refs, you know, bad cameras, whole tons of storylines you could go with there. But what I'm going to say is, is I believe we we didn't lose faith in him because of that. And, and that's something that if would have happened in the Cal game would have been more booze, more even people that were on his side with the call would have been frustrated. And it was at least encouraging to, to really hear at least the people around me generally going, what the hell, you know, it being on his side more than uh, more than the PAC 12 referee side. That's for sure. Well, you know what, Nick, I don't think it'll ever be hard to get anybody against the PAC 12 rest. I think you could have, basically whoever you wanted to run in a poll against them and you will have the opponent oftentimes winning that poll matchup of any real kind of any real significance. The PAC 12 refs will often lose. Now, did a friend of mine happen to be taking pictures of the game and have the exact angle of a B over the goal line with the knee down at the half yard line and the ball extended across the chalk? Maybe. Was it infuriating to not see the PAC 12 have the, Pac-12 or ESPN have the camera angles to be able to prove it? Absolutely. That being said, Oregon did what they're able to kind of do best, and that's be able to bounce back in a weird situation. This team has proven their resiliency. They were able to hang tough the rest of that night. Of course, that's not something you want, but this Oregon team continued to do what they did so well. Before we're completely out of the wazoo talk, got to give a shout-out to a freshman who, again, had a really big game, game against wazoo. Byron Cardwell, Cardwell, my goodness, number 21 in the backfields becoming a real thing, a real problem. If he goes and does something, if he, if he has a game like this again, you're going to see me putting up 21, 21, 21 comparisons all over social media. I am such a big fan of this dude. I'm going to need them to make a 21 Jersey available because I love seeing that number out of the backfield for Oregon. And I love seeing a freshman picking up the slack where we knew there would be some to pick up at that running back position. And, you know, a, a big shout out to him and his development is his patience. And a lot of young running backs, when you get in there in a college game, you're so ready. You're so amped up. I can only imagine as an offensive lineman, I was ready to run full speed from the very get go. And that's OK. When you are a running back and you are one of the fastest guys on the field, you have to slow down, let blocks set up in front of you. And there's no better example than Stephen Jones just hustling his way from the right guard all the way around to the you know left C gap, all the way out there, outside the tight end. I mean, boom, lets that block set up. And then it's an easy, easy shuffle scoot right up to the end zone and you know, almost untouched there. And just the way he's just developed patience and vision, that's you know, that's coachable but it's also something intangible that some guys just pick up at a certain time. And once they do, they can be really, really dangerous because not only that, when you let blockers set up, you take less hits, you take less injury. You don't have to run into two or three guys. You get set up in one-on-one matchups with the safety or a linebacker. And then it's a one-on-one football play, which we are all out there and set and developed to win especially at the University of Oregon. So I think that, you know, that is going to pay off long-term, especially this season as we go on and get him the ball more and feed him the ball more. And not just that, but again, die coming out, showing him the way really, because that's a guy that makes fantastic decisions with the football. And as fast as he is, there's so much patience there, you know, now we got to 
really emphasize ball security the next couple of weeks. But man, I'm really excited. This backfield it hasn't been necessarily what we expected, especially with Verdell going down. But it sure is starting to peak at the right time. And like we said, against Utah is that time. That's the time right now where you have to be able to run the ball when you go into a hostile territory. Like it's going to be in Utah with the Utes, with the flashy uniforms they're busting out and the hand-painted helmets that look fantastic. You know, they're pulling out all the stops for Oregon when we come in there on Saturday. But you know what? I have a lot of faith in this team so far, especially from what I saw at UW, because that was a tough scenario. You put yourself behind nine points in the pouring rain in the greatest setting in college football or something like that and you know what you pulled it out and you did it with 300 yards rushing that's how you do it you don't go and get yourself in a panic and start throwing the football that's what got you down nine points what you do is you consistently run the football take care of the football and make good decisions in terms of when you get in third down situations are you gonna throw a screen or are you gonna run for three yards because running for three yards and punting could lead to a touchdown or field goal later if with this defense especially so Things you got to consider that in my day, when we were just trying to run up as much offense as we could and force some turnovers to get some more possessions, it was an entirely different style of football people became accustomed to that was exciting and fresh. But I think people need to really look at, especially this game up front, if we can dominate and execute, like I, I bet Mario Cristobal hopes he can watching this film, it's going to show people how much more exciting this kind of football can be in situations where you are put with your back against the wall. And when you're on the road, a lot of times we had our backs against the wall and sometimes it, we weren't fully able to get the engine started, get going. But this is an offense right now where you have the bulls up front to just push your way into getting some yards. And that that is a, a fantastic way to get it going if you don't turn the football over and you have defense that can just cause havoc. Well, you know what, Nick? This is just the fourth time since Pac-12 play has begun that Oregon has traveled to Salt Lake City for a ball game. This is going to be a prime time game. It'll be 5.30 Mountain Time. I believe that's where that's – that's. I believe that's Salt Lake City. I could be completely incorrect, but I do believe Salt Lake City is Mountain Time. 5.30 kickoff locally there. The Mus is going to be exceptionally excited. They'll be rowdy. That's that ABC prime time. They know it. That's just enough time to be able to tailgate and party all day and get into the stadium. Be nice and rowdy. Oregon is going to have to do their best to go into a hostile environment. And this is a game truly where they cannot afford to start slow. We've seen it this season. We saw it at UCLA, saw it at Washington, saw it at Stanford. A lot of slow starts to this Oregon team, especially on the road. There is no room for that this week. They absolutely have to come out. Guns ablazing on offense and defense, ready to deal with the horrors of Rice Cycle Stadium. Maybe, maybe, or this team might be able to come out and just put their foot on their throat and come out with a low scoring win. That's the kind of thing I could see out of this defense going in there to a team that, you know, is is facing a situation where they're pretty much, you know, had an up and down season, but right now are kind of peaking. Everybody's got them by a slight favorite, but you still look at teams like Oregon State, what they were able to do in the run game against them. Maybe even if we do get ourselves in a little bit of early trouble, once this team settles down, I believe we have the talent to pull back. Now, do I want to see us have to do that? 
No, of course not. But I think we're fully capable of it. And this might be a team that plays better in those scenarios because they've certainly put themselves in a few this season. And, you know, the second quarter of that Wazoo game just goes to show you, it's like maybe they needed a little bit of a halftime speech and, a, you know, a little bit of a, a kick in the ass because they, they let him back into a game that felt like, like at the beginning of the Arizona game, it was like, oh, okay, right early feels like we're going to really kick their butts. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of a little happens. What I would really like to see is one of these games, and it'd be great if it were this game, Oregon State, Pac-12 title, but just come out and play a full four quarters the way we have played most of the fourth quarters of this season. Because when this team comes out and is just rolling and wearing teams down and punching them in the mouth, they can't be stopped. This Oregon football team is at its absolute best when they have established themselves in one way or another meaning this isn't a team that's necessarily going to fly down the field and get a quick drive, and then on defense they're going to bend but not break, and the offense it's back. No, they really need to have a, a moment. They need to have plays where they assert themselves, whether it's the defense with a big hit, a loud cracking noise, getting all of those highly touted guys, their heads in the game, getting them all really excited, whether it is the offense, either a big play or just a big punch-in-the-mouth play, able to pick up 13, 14 yards on the run right up the middle, something that can set Utah off a little bit. Either way, I'm confident in saying besides Ohio State, this is the best team Oregon's had to play all season. Yeah, It's the most complete team. It's the team that I think Oregon will have to play the closest to a four-quarter game to be able to beat. And the other thing I've been considering is you go into this as a coach and uh, knowing you're on the road and knowing you play them most likely again in the Pac-12 championship in less than two weeks, do you roll out the full playbook? Do you have any trick plays that you might set aside for that week? There's a lot of considerations you have to have when you go into this. And, uh, you know, this is definitely the biggest game of the year. Toughest opponent, arguably. But, man, it's felt like we've been saying this and setting up this season in different ways where, you know, at the beginning of the season, what the, what it looked like is completely different and week to week, it always seems like this team knows it's going to be their toughest test yet, or at least treats it that way. And as long as they continue to, I see good things ahead. Now I didn't get to play Utah when they were in the PAC 12, but I did have one experience against them right before they joined. And it probably my least favorite uniform combination of all time that I wore and uh, probably, probably of all, yeah, of all time, whether I, whether I wore it or not, other than the ones from 2016 that we do not mention anymore, but alas, uh, my game against them was actually my second time getting on the field because I played at home against Purdue the week before. So second time actually getting in the game in the Boise state game, we do not speak of, uh, I didn't get in on that one. Unfortunately, didn't have that many offensive possessions. So, uh, I got in, uh, had a, uh, a ni nice day from what I remember. I just remember we, we kept running power a whole, whole lot against them and keeping it pretty basic. But back then it was like a, a completely different battle for us because, you know, they were a non-conference team. There wasn't that competitive fire. Yes, they wanted to come into Autzen Stadium and prove themselves. And, you know, them as a program, you know, the, the Utes have been able to, to be in a lot of big moments. I remember uh, – you know, coming up and watching them beat Alabama in a bowl game and thinking, you know, right there, like, damn, who's this program coming up? And now 
to see them like right there at the top of the Pac-12 and having this rivalry with us kind of in a way that's been built up over the years. And certainly this week in the media has been talked up at least a little bit, which is uh, kind of just, you know, an old geezer like me, it takes me off guard because I'm like, oh, yeah. There's this rivalry that's developing that I, I was never part of. I, I don't even, you know, get to go there and, and experience a game there yet, hopefully someday. But all I know is that they've always been a tough opponent that's demanded our respect. And uh, that was no different in 2009 than it is today. But now there's a lot more history there in the past couple of years. And certainly it was uh, the highlight of the last year of uh, Coach Helfrich's season. Well, can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Kyle Whittingham, he's the longest tenured coach in the Pac-12 by far. Yeah, him or Shaw, it's got to be, right? Well, I oh, mean, it would, it would Shaw, definitely be Shaw. Whittingham because Whittingham definitely had to coach against Harbaugh at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you've got a program that that's displayed stability, and that's one of the most rare things you can find. Mm-hmm. This is a team that rose to prominence in the 2000s when they were coached by one Urban Meyer with Alex Smith out there running the quarterback position, being able to run around. Once Herb left, I believe if it wasn't immediately very soon after, Whittingham took over, took this Utah team that had risen to prominence, had themselves a New Year's Six Bowl, turned that into a team that was consistently winning in their conference. They were in the Mountain West. They were playing very, very well at the time. They were ranked when they came into Oregon to play you guys. Guys got the win that game that day against a ranked opponent, but they were a ranked opponent going into that game. They were a highly touted enough team that when the Pac-12 was looking for that expansion, they took up the card right there. They were happy to jump over. And since coming to the conference, Utah's been a pretty good team. They had a couple of years of adjustment and figuring it out, but they've made Pac-12 championship games. They have consistently been near the top of the Southern division They've consistently been a top two or three team in the South, a team that year in and year out, people go, well, you know, Utah, they're not what they were last year. Nope, they'll be right back there. They are consistently in that position. Utah, you can't take them lightly. You have to appreciate what they've done, appreciate what Whittingham's built. He might have a building named after himself at this point. And I can tell you what, if he's able to do what I know he wants to on Saturday, they might start a statue as well. Well, yeah, and he, you know, the thing about them is they've weathered so much this year in terms of not just player turnover with, you know, quarterback transfer. They didn't have turnout that, you know, we understand and can relate to transfers here at Oregon. But even further, when you lose someone on your team, and I can only speak to uh, when our team lost Todd Doxing before the 2008 season, that really can just get an entire team of guys that may not have been that unified just there for football and you really all get on the same page and you're united in an emotional bond that's a lot different and that's a that's a scary scary thing especially late in the season but hey man Oregon's got to come in and, and kind of knock it out of them take the wind out of their sails and let them know that just you know in terms of execution talent and physicality they can't match us. That's where you got to go out and you have to set the tone against a team that loves to do that and out physical their opponents. But as Di said this week, we have a Sewell, they have a Sewell. It's going to be a great game. And you know that that sets right there for a physical matchup. Well, and I, there was a point I was about to, I was about to make right there. You've got that familial bond in the, in the crosshairs of this matchup, a Sewell versus Sewell game. Those have been fun historically. I remember when uh, Nevada played at Oregon. That was definitely an example of that. 
past Pac-12 championship game as well. This is going to be a lot of fun for Oregon fans to be able to watch. It'll be a lot of fun for us to be able to comment on, be able to talk about. But you, Utah presents a very interesting set of circumstances. I know you were never able to make a trip out there to play that game, but that has to be another one that just feels kind of strange to be at. Honestly, if you are in the Pac-12, if you're in the traditional Pac-12, the classic Pac-12, what was once the Pac-8, you're probably pretty comfortable playing any game that's relatively close to an ocean. Whether that's in the Bay, that's in LA, it's up in Seattle, or throughout the Willamette Valley, the Palouse might be a little far out there. That might even be a little too strange and away from the water for some people. But then, once you're in the Arizonas, we know all about that. Colorado comes with the altitude and the fact that you're in the mountains. That's another thing. And then Utah presents its own interesting set of circumstances. What do we know about Utah? Utah is a cool place. It's, it's a desert. I'll tell you that much. It's a desert in terms of both summer and winter, but what they definitely have is they've got some more than just a beautiful landscape. They've got a community and a culture there. That's very close knit. It's very into what they're into. They're very into Utah that Utah Utes fan base are very into the Utah Utes, you can completely imagine, expect, put your money on the fact that Oregon will be going into a hostile environment on Saturday night. They're going to have to do everything they can to keep that crowd, that community out of their heads and out of the ballgame. Well, and yeah, Oregon fans can definitely relate because it's a community thing because there's no real professional football team to rally around. So Utah, it's the Utes or it's BYU. And that rivalry right there is fierce. I mean, outside of many, I think that that is right up there with many of the best Pac-12 rivalries right there. If not, there's there's an even more vitriol and hatred between those two fan bases. But it's a holy war. What do you want? Well, yeah, fair. It's it's definitely earned its title too because uh, all the BYU and Utes fans that I know growing up, man absolutely just love to rip at each other any single moment they can and i hope that since the conference you know uh changes that that's still maintained but it feels like listening to the media this week we've been getting some of that as you hear a lot of former youth players saying you know oh yeah it's about time we need to get our revenge and stuff and uh as a former ducks player i just kind of laugh at that kind of uh language because it just means you didn't get it done bro like i <laughs> i don't have to sit back and worry about those kind of things because got it done at the end of the day and uh he, when you hear former players coming back and putting that on uh the opposing team's bulletin boards man oh, i get a kick out of that you know at any time you're willing to you're willing to give your opponent extra extra bulletin board material that is a uh a, let's just call it a slightly or a, a more than slightly questionable decision yeah, well, especially Mario Cristobal, because as we've seen, you know, that's a man that he's already fully motivated. He doesn't need any more. And you give him that little bit extra, man, it's going to come right back. It's going to come right back at you. Well, you know what, Nick, speaking of speaking of guys who have come who come right back, who are always back, ready to fight another down. We've got somebody with us today who I'm very excited to talk to about. It's always it's always exciting whenever you can have a a sports illustrated model on the podcast somebody who i'm uh who i'm very excited to be able to speak to i'll let you uh i'll let you tee it up and then we can get our guest on here and uh get rolling yeah man fantastic uh, another guy from uh, nate costa's year and uh like you said cover sports illustrated there 2009 our uh, starter for many years and one of the most durable and uh intelligent guys on our offensive line the years i was there jordan holmes so with us now, the first guy lined up in a game with live, 
my center, Jordan Holmes. Thank you for being with us, Jordan. It's an honor and a privilege, fellas. Man, talking to Nate Costa last week, man, just brought back a lot of memories. And I thought, you know, of all the guys of that class coming in that saw all that transition from Coach Bilotti to Coach Kelly, who is one guy that I can think of that would be a great guy to get on Utah Week? And it was you because I came into Oregon thinking I knew a lot. And then I met a guy like you who really is a great teacher now, not only, you know, what you do career-wise, but even at the time I knew I was like, man, Jordan Holmes is a guy that leads and follows by example and, and just knew every single bit of the offense. And as a center, how important is it as a, not just a leader, but as a communicator to be able to teach other guys around you what is going on in the offense? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it falls on the guy in the middle to just establish where we're working on any given play. Um, so it was, it was very important to know what we were doing in the box, inside and out, um, regardless of the front, what blitzes they were throwing at us, what the secondary was doing. Um, so just always had to be prepared mentally um, because, you know, the center's the guy who, who sets the protections, makes the point calls, makes sure everyone knows where they're going. So if the center's off, then the entire scheme's off, and you can't win ball games like that. Jordan, something we often ask people, especially people who came into the program around when you did, is kind of about not just the growth of the program, but the growth that was shown to you when you were being recruited, when you were being brought into Oregon. When you were that high school kid that was being sold on the university, what was used to kind of sell you on this school? What were they telling you about your potential, your possibility, and the possibilities that Oregon would have for you? Well, uh, my recruiter at the time was Dan Farino, who was coaching receivers. He actually ended up uh, taking a job elsewhere right in the middle of my recruiting, and uh, Coach Wood took over. So basically, they told me I'd have a chance to come in and compete and, you know, play football at an outstanding university, get a good degree. Um, you know, when I went up there for my official visit, uh, Coach Wood drove me out to Fern Ridge and said, hey, uh, you can duck hunt and fish and do all that fun stuff that you like to do back home right up here in Eugene. Um, my dad actually played at the University of Oregon for a couple of years, and then my high school football coach uh, was there while Coach Greatwood was there um, back in the probably mid-90s. So had kind of an in with, you know, the family and then my high school football coach and uh, always been a fan of Eugene, went up there when, when we were kids. So I just loved it and uh, got the opportunity and I jumped on it and I'm glad I did. Now, what was it like coming out of Yuba City, California, which again, second to Rancho Cucamonga, my favorite for Don Essig to be saying all the intros that definitely Yuba City was up there, at least top three. But what's it like transitioning from that to Eugene, Oregon, especially in terms of football? What was it like when you first got there and what was the transition like for you personally? Well, back in my day, um, Yuba City High School was a very big school. We had 3000 kids. We played in the largest division in Northern California. Uh, played against a lot of talented teams. So we were playing against programs like Grant and Granite Bay and Nevada Union, who were very, very good football programs. We weren't the best program, but uh, we played against some great talent. So I think that kind of helped set me up. My uh, head football coach playing, actually we had co-head football coaches, um, but with Brian Brown playing at the collegiate level, um, he gave me some good insight and helped me get prepared, did a good job with me in the weight room. Um, so I had some 
a good solid foundation. Uh, but at the end of the day, especially the big fellas, you're typically not ready to set foot on the field early unless you are a freak of nature athlete, which I wasn't, uh, you know, pretty average frame, pretty average athleticism. You know, I just got by on being tough and, and knowing what to do and being smart. So um, I think I was pretty solidly prepared um, football wise and academically uh, coming out of Yuba city high school. Jordan, when you finally do spend that time getting yourself ready, what do you remember of that first real opportunity to step up and make an impact in a game for Oregon? So I started seeing the field regularly my redshirt sophomore year. I got my first start against UW, which was the season opener that year. It was kind of weird. Um, so I, I got a chance to get on the field pretty early in my career. Uh, that lasted for about four games. And then uh, Mike Neal at Purdue just threw me around and, uh, you know, coach would have had to make, make a change. And it was the change that needed to happen. Uh, needed a more experienced guy there. Uh, Jeff Kendall took over for a few games and then uh, Bo Fran really came into his own during that time. So Bo ended up finishing out the season playing that left guard spot. Um, but I just viewed it as an opportunity to try to help the team win. Um, you know, I worked my butt off. I tried my butt, my best. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think I was about 275 pounds at the time, had a tough time anchoring against big, strong guys like Mike Neal, um, but uh, worked hard. And, you know, I got to play between Max Unger at center and Fanuki Tupo at left tackle. And if you can't be somewhat of a decent football player playing between those two guys, you shouldn't be on the field. So, um, you know, I got my shot and, at the end of the day, I just wasn't ready to see the field full time and then uh, transitioned back to center for my junior year. And that's when things started rolling, um, you know, back at, you know, the position I felt that I played best and, um, you know, really dove into learning the offense and helping make sure that everyone was in the right spot at the right time and, uh, you know, doing my best job to get in the way long enough for our playmakers to make plays. Yeah, well, not only was center just so much more tough, it demanded so much more consistency, and you were one of the most consistent people in our program. You started all 13 games of that 2009 season, and yeah, didn't start out so great down at Boise, but we went on. You were able to do a lot better against Mike Neal that second time, and uh, you know had a little help from yours truly and others out there, but a fantastic season, 13 games, and you were durable throughout your career. What's it like battling through a lot of those injuries and still having to be the guy out there that we, we honestly relied on as a center because our, our depth behind you was, was really, really rough. We were a couple guys from me having to roll the ball back there like a bowling ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, at times it was tough. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, my personal belief is that that group of five guys has to play as one. And we did have some rotations going on. You got in there, um, you know, Darian would hop in there, Bo would kick down the guard, you know, Mark and CE would work back and forth between guard and tackle. Um, but there definitely need to be continuity within the group. And in my opinion, I wasn't going to let any boo-boos or nicks or dings keep me off the field. And, uh, yeah, my body hurts now, but, um, you know, I, I was there for a reason. It was to, you know, help the team win ball games on Saturdays. And you can't do that while you're standing on the sideline and you can't get prepared for Saturdays. Um, you know, if you're not practicing every day of the week. So, um, you know, I, 
I just made sure that I did what I could to take care of my body with my limited knowledge of my own body at the time. Um, but you know, made it work. Jordan, we've talked to you a lot about Jordan Holmes, the football player. One person I'm curious about is Jordan Holmes, the sports illustrated model. I, I, I've got, I've got several questions, whether it was about the shoe, others about that day in general, but I just kind of want to hear from you from kind of the point where they're like, Hey, we might, we might want you for this. This might be a thing we're doing up until the point where they've got you posing in front of the camera with Jeremiah right behind you. What was that entire experience working with the uh, sports illustrated team and everything like that? What was that about? And like, was that like, uh, well, Dave Wilford let Jeremiah and I know the day before, Hey, you're going to be taking some pictures. So you got to get here at this time, um, you know, and get all your gear on. And that's all he told us. We're like, cool, man. Um, so we showed up and, um, you know, went into the equipment room and they were all giddy because they knew what was going on, but we didn't. So they're like, Hey, you have to wear these shoes. You have to wear these socks. The trainers are going to tape your hands. You know, it's going to look like you're ready to play football. They slapped a cowboy collar on me, I, you know, didn't wear a cowboy collar past high school. Um, so throwing all this gear on me and, you know, Jeremiah was looking good with all of his wristbands and this, that, and the other. And so we went out there and started taking pictures and, um, you know, I just remember the lights being extremely hot and I'm a big time head sweater. Uh, I don't have any hair and it started falling out when I was 18. So, um, we would have to take a break after three shots and they had some weird paper that they need to come dab my forehead with. So I'd have to pop my helmet off. You know, they dab the sweat with this paper that was supposed to help me stop sweating. Um, there's nothing on earth that can help me stop sweating. And, um, so just kept taking pictures and taking pictures. And we were in there for like in the CAS for, or excuse me, the Mo. We are in the mo for at least an hour, just picture the helmet on, helmet off, you know, this point, you know, yell at the camera, do this, do that. And then when we finished, you know, we shook hands, said, hey, thank you. It was a good experience. And and then they told us, they're like, oh, by the way, this is a cover shot. And Jeremiah and, and I just looked at each other. And we we're like, oh, that's cool. Um, so it, it all kind of happened in the blink of an eye. I think they purposely um, didn't tell us a lot um, initially, but it was a cool experience. It was my first ever photo shoot. I know in the recruiting now they put everybody in front of the green screen and you put your gear on and, you know, so you can have your avatars for your social media, but that wasn't a thing back then. So, um, it was a cool experience. And then the magazine came out and, you know, signed a lot of those guys. It turned out pretty cool too. Cause I, yeah, I remember. And of all those guys that were on the cover that season, Mazzoli's the one guy still out there still performing right now. So that's pretty special. But I think the, the one thing I took away from that, probably the most under center uh, snaps we ran all year that, that year was in that cover shoot right there. So uh, what's that chemistry like as a center with your quarterback? I know it's usually a little bit different at Oregon and people get that perception, but you're still there doing season cues every day. What's it like, going from a guy like Mazzoli to Darren Thomas for you as a center, or did you even notice? That's a good one. Um, so going back to my early days, being with guys like, um, you know, Dennis and Brady, who were, you know, very well-seasoned veteran, knew the offense top to bottom, um, really didn't need the guys in front of them to make any calls. They knew what was going on. Um, and then Jeremiah, uh, that was his second year in the program was the year that I started full time. 
So he was getting a grasp of it. We weren't quite as advanced as we were, um, you know, depth wise within our scheme, um, you know, made it easy for us to play fast. So um, we had a little more continuity with working together. Um, you know, Hey, I see something. What do you think? You know, going back and forth, adjust the protection, you know, adjust the point call. And then, uh, you know, when Darren took over again, another young guy um, really had to work together to make sure that we were both on the same page. Um, and when we were on the same page, that meant, you know, Bo and Carson and you and Darren and CE and Mark, um, you know, we were all on the same page so we could, you know, keep guys safe and, and give our athletes space to make plays. So um, definitely had to work together. Um, each quarterback had their different style. Um, I enjoyed snapping to Darren a little more than snapping to Jeremiah because Darren was six inches taller. So a little more room for air. And, um, <laughs> you know, when my snaps went awry, they were usually high and hot. So it was nice to have a guy who was six, three back there, pop up, snag it real quick, and then uh, make sure the play keeps going. Jordan, during that 2009 season, you guys played an opponent that Oregon actually is coming up this week. They weren't in the conference yet, but the Utah Utes were on the schedule. They came into Autzen, 18 rank in the country. They've got some energy behind them. They're a program that's been building up in caliber over the last couple of seasons. It's a tough battle early. You get a punt return for a touchdown by Walter Thurman that really kind of boosts the energy. And from there, Oregon comes out, has a really strong day. LaMichael James looks like LaMichael James for maybe the first time that we've really seen. It was a really fun game overall, at least from a fan perspective. What do you remember from that day? What do you kind of remember about what Utah brought to the table? I remember it being a very physical ball game. Uh, just an absolute slobber knocker. Um, you know, they, we had a rough time throwing the ball that game. And I believe we completed one pass in the second half. And we just ran the ball, ran the ball. And LaMichael came into his own. Um, but we did a lot of face mashing. And that's one of the games that I really enjoyed. Um, I loved when we run the football. So, um, you know, I remember it just being a physical ball game and getting beat up and coming away with a W. But, uh, you know, it was a tough physical team, well-coached big, big bodies. So really big bodies. They were a, a good matchup for us. Um, but, you know, had a lot of fun and we got the W. Yeah. And a lot of those matchups back in the days when we were pounding faces with teams, our run game would get going if we were just getting a draw on people on the offensive line. What's it like watching this team now when you can, seeing the level of recruiting that they have up front with a head coach that's an offensive lineman? What's it like seeing these guys not just neutralize defensive linemen but below them back four or five yards yeah they, they have some dudes um, yeah. they have some horses they're big strong physical well-built guys um, I think they do a good job of recruiting um, the mentality that they want out of their guys and then they do a great job developing developing them physically um, you know they get after it obviously scheme wise is a, is a much different thing um, you know you see a lot more gap schemes out of them than we ran we were you know, the only gap scheme play we ran was uh, power. Um, but they're, you know, they'll get in there and I know duo is kind of a combination between your gap scheme and your zone scheme. But, you know, getting those big double teams and getting push and moving guys off the ball. And um, but they're just impressive physical specimens. 
Jordan, Oregon this week, as we mentioned, they've got Utah. Utah's a very good team. They run the ball well. They bring a lot to the table. I'm not sure how much Oregon football you've been able to watch this year, but from what you've seen, how can Oregon kind of be able to handle such an aggressive team up front, and what does it take to go into a place like Rice Cycle Stadium in Salt Lake City in front of a rabid fan base and be able to keep calm, keep quiet, and get a win? Well, to uh, quote, Coach Kelly, you got to weather the storm early. Um, they're going to come out playing with a lot of emotion. So just keep calm and, and execute. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be, again, a very physical battle. That's what you're always going to get out of a Utah team. Um, you know, they're going to play defense. They're going to run the football. Well, the Duckies are going to play defense and they're going to run the football. Um, you know, whether or not the quarterback's on early, that always helps. You get, a, you know, get a couple deep balls early. Um, but, you know, just coming out and, and playing physical and matching that intensity, but then sustaining and um, just keeping it manageable in the first half because then the emotions, um, you know, they, they kind of get out of the way and, and you start playing football. And um, so if they can keep that first half manageable, um, then second half go out there, do their thing. I think it'll, it'll end up as a, as a win for the Duckies. Mm. So we didn't get to go during our time because, you know, no Pac-12 yet, no Utah. We didn't get to go at Utah. But one game, a big away game, I guess you could say, that I had a huge question for you on, not the game itself, but practices leading up to it, is UCLA 2009. And as we're practicing and uh, had a couple injuries that week, I, I get a starting role, get called up to right guard. And uh, during the middle of practices that week, I had – come down with a little bit of a flu, a little bit of a flu bug. I had to practice during or puke during practice one day. I want to know who on the offensive line orchestrated the next play after a series to everybody put Gatorade in their mouths and pretend to puke as soon as the play was done to mock me. I want to know who was that. It had to be you or Mark. Oh, <laughs> honestly, I think that was a Mark. Um, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> You know, Mark, Mark was always a big time jokester whenever he could, um, you know, get a jab in on someone. He, he took that opportunity, but it was fun. It was choreographed. And every now and then um, you got to take a break from the grind and uh, have a little giggle. And uh, honestly, I forgot about that till you just brought it up. That was a good day. It was a good day. It was a fantastic one because I, I had to get an IV the day before and you guys, you guys just lived it up. I think it was a Thursday or Friday practice, nice light walkthrough. And of course I'm walking around at everybody standing hunched over pretending to puke and just took me a good, good, you know, 10 seconds to finally realize what was going on, but fantastic ones. Are any others that stand out to you off the top of your head? Uh, just funsies kind of things. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, uh, 2009, that's a while back, tough time remembering. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of 2010. Our theme of the O-line room was the movie Bloodsport. Love it. So, um, you know, anytime you walked in the room, um, someone would try to Jean-Claude Van Damme in the face. Uh, <laughs> Ramson definitely took that on full force. He was, he was our guy. Um, so had a lot of fun with, with stuff like that. Um, it was hard to to giggle at practice because we went so fast yeah. and about midway through most of us were about to die. <laughs> so, but every now and then you could do that. Um, obviously there was, there were the fights that practice that, you know, at the time everyone's all serious and, uh, you know, I'm going to beat you up, but um, you know, after practice you shake hands in the locker room and you giggle about it and 
you know, oh, I got tuned up by a walk-on freshman linebacker or, you know, you see some big guy and get beat up by a little guy and you're like, oh, yeah, that that's hilarious. So good times. Oh, the water bottles on uh, Fridays. So what the, the ultimate gotcha on Fridays was unscrewing the lid to a water bottle and handing it to somebody. And then they take a squirt and water goes all over the place. Now you didn't do it with Gatorade. That was against the rules, but you did it with water, but it got so intense. Like um, guys would go over and ask the training staff to borrow their keys real quick. And they would scrape out the grooves, you know, in the water bottle lids, because, you know, after you get got a couple of times, you sit there and you look at it. Well, then you look at, Oh, it's okay. No, they, they doctored it up. And I'm pretty sure the training staff had a separate set of water bottles for us just so we quit ruining them. So then it came down to, you know, every time you grabbed a water bottle, you pointed it at the ground and you squeezed to make sure that the lid was on. Well, I'm not sure if you've noticed that or noticed that <laughs> during a game back in 2009, 2010, we'd be out there on the field and you'd get a Gatorade bottle and half the team would point it down at the ground and squeeze it first you know, we're not going to hit each other during a game, you know, that's, that's time to work, but you know, that was always a good time. I think coach Wood got, got, got once and he was not happy and we ran quite a bit. Um, of course we were giggling while we were going up the stadium steps, but good times. Oh, great. Jordan, I don't mean to uh, take up much more of your tonight than we absolutely have to, but one last thing that I definitely want to ask you, it's a question I've been trying to work into these conversations a little bit more. What from your days in college, whether it was a particular class you took, whether it was football, just being around people on a day-to-day basis that prepared you best for your life right now and in, in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I have actually transitioned out of, a, out of the teaching role now. I'm an administrator, so... Um, I work at an elementary school, which I've never worked at before. Um, so just, I meet new people every day and I deal with different people every day. And, um, you know, just being in the locker room and meeting guys from all around the country. Uh, you know, my, you know, my roommate for five years, Nate Costa from Hillmar. It's a three hour drive from Yuba city, you know, Northern California. I guess he's kind of central California, but I'm Northern California. Um, my first real experience living with and getting to know someone really well from a different area, um, you know, learn about their background, what makes them tick. And then you throw 120 guys in a locker room from different States, you know, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, California, all the way across the country. Um, just getting to know those folks and realizing, Hey, the way I do things is much different than the way that they do things. And that's okay because, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So um, just meeting different people and, um, you know, understanding that the environment that you grow up in um, is not the same for everybody. And a lot of that can determine your actions or behaviors or beliefs. And, uh, you know, just saying, hey, you know, that's their thing. That's fine. You know, they're not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Um, You know, we can we can work together and we can get stuff done. Yeah, and we had Nate on last week, and it's great you say that because something, you know, that really about his conversation, him being back in Eugene, just makes me have to ask this every single time to close out our interviews. What about Eugene do you still love to this day and you're still really proud about? That's a good one. Um, You know, 
football on the football side of things um you know it seemed like we were there when the the foundation was laid for you know this you know number three ranking and, and all this good stuff happening um and you know that that took a lot of hard work you know you were there um but you know it's just a, a sense of pride in you know we helped build that thing and it's still rolling you know there were some hiccups along the way but um you know it's still a very respectable program and um you know good guys are coming out of there whether they're going to the nfl or you know getting a, a normal job like we have um you know and it's just an honor to have been a part of it and um you know just the friendships that i have from from those places or from that place um you know it's where i met my wife um you know we we got engaged in florence and you know, just, you know, that area is just very special to me. I love it to death. I haven't been up probably since 2016. Uh, you know, you start having kids and all that good stuff. And um, a lot of those travel plans go out the window. And so um, need to get back and, uh, you know, see those people and, and just, um, you know, pay my respects to the program that is uh, still doing a great job and, and seeing those awesome guys like Coach Radcliffe, um, you know, just, you know, he set me up professionally big time. Um, I interned for him uh, for a year after I finished playing and then, uh, you know, started my career in education as a high school PE teacher slash strength coach. So learned so much from him and just a great human being. And, but really those, uh, the relationships that I got to build, I was there, you know, great folks, you know, on the academic side of the river and on the athletic side of the river. So, um, but, you know, definitely proud to be a duck and uh, look forward to my next time in Eugene. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been an honor talking to you and we can't wait to the next time you get down to Eugene. And, uh, you know, you, you definitely uh, when you when you get there and you see what's been built and they continue to build and never stop, it just reminds you of those days where we thought we thought, uh, you know, we're we're seeing some pretty nice things. Uh, you know, an Xbox we don't get to use in the locker room seems pretty nice. But now blows my mind and uh that's why it's great to know always once a duck always a duck thanks jordan of course thanks fellas appreciate it so a little inside behind the scenes info we had to pause after that because i think jordan holmes is the most i've laughed at one of our interviews in a while normally we just jump in right after had to go collect ourselves gather ourselves but man that bottle story took me back a ways and uh sitting there thinking about it like yeah, did I did I steal one of the trainer's uh, tape cutters to, to possibly scrape out one of those Gatorade bottle lids? I may have, and I may have completely forgotten about it until Jordan said it right there. So uh, those are the kind of stories you only get with Once a Duck, and one of the big reasons I'm really glad we had Jordan on. Jordan was a, a, that's such a fun guest. And at one point, you were like, "Hey, out of these like offensive linemen, who would you want to see on here?" And there were some great names on there, and some that we're definitely going to have on very shortly but when i saw jordan holmes i was like oh we got it we got to go with jordan got to hear what the man in the middle has to say about everything and i was glad to hear what he had to say he definitely had some good insights both uh about ball itself and then about the culture around it for sure yeah we've been really really lucky and he's a perfect follow-up to nate you know having been his roommate having Nate on just got me that much more thinking about those blue guys of that early team and that transition from Bilotti to Chip and the guys that really made it possible were those guys that were great leaders, great personalities, and guys that can not only make you laugh, but make you think. And uh, I, 
that's a very very rare thing for uh, our podcast here is getting guys to think but we'll we'll make you laugh and speaking of laugh we have some predictions for this utah game that we'll we'll get to after a little bit but let's talk about this utah team sam i think uh ever since they made a quarterback change they They've been entirely something else. Well, this is a team that has been just a completely different animal. Cameron rising since he really took up the mantle after that terrible attempted transfer situation. He's got 17,052 yards, 14 touchdowns. Most impressively, only two interceptions. This is a guy that when he's been on the field has been really, really good for Utah. He, the sophomore is a six, two sophomore number seven back there. He'll be causing problems all day long. But for Oregon, the, quarter, the quarterback is going to do what they're going to do. For me, the biggest thing that they have to be able to stop, the Ducks need to be able to stop Tavion Thomas. Hmm. This is the guy that shredded Stanford for four touchdowns. He's got 742 yards on the year, only 122 attempts. He's averaging 6.1 yards per rush. He's got 14 touchdowns as well. He is somebody who can absolutely wreak havoc. I don't know about you, but I, I happen to remember this recent history of Utah having some real talented running backs back there. He is just another one. Number nine in the backfield will absolutely be a terror and will be somebody that Oregon has to keep a close eye on throughout the entirety of this upcoming ballgame. Yeah, Noah Sewell's got to get to him early hit him with the pads, get him riled up and knocked down and feel beaten up early because if not, man, we've seen that they've had a pretty easy schedule so far in November with 52-7 to Stanford beating. And, of course, that's a very wounded Stanford team right now and not the same Stanford team that took the field against Oregon, uh, not at all. But they also had uh, Arizona, who's, you know, this year – put up a couple tough conference battles, but still is the conference doormat. So really, you know, they pulled out 38 to 24 victory there. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily the best win, but Oregon had a tough game from Arizona too. So you have to consider it. And, you know, no, you know, you look at them against Oregon state and you have to wonder, you know, different team, of course, but man, if Oregon can run the ball even near as effective as Oregon state did with the defense we have, if we just come out, and show up and play excited like I hope we are for this game I I'm really confident actually but you know a lot of people there's a reason Utah is slightly favored in this one and it's because their team right now is just playing to a different level and they're playing inspired football and in November that usually makes the difference in most football games well, and I can tell you for Utah, the, the key to their defense is this, their linebacking core. Number zero, Devin Lloyd. He is one of the best in the Pac-12. He's got 85 total tackles. 48 of those are solo on the season. And then second leading tackler. This last name might sound a little familiar. Nephi Sewell, the number one linebacker back there. He is 64 tackles on the season, 38 of those solo. Those two guys in the middle of that defense for Utah really are running the show back there. They are in control of everything going on. The next, all the next leading tacklers for Utah are all guys in their secondary. Mm -hmm. This shows you how valuable those linebackers are for Utah, the way they've been stepping up and stopping the run when they need to drop back and coverage how they have. Oregon needs to be prepared for those guys. Moorhead needs to be able to put them into a decision where they have to choose which way they're going to go. Hopefully, Oregon makes the best choice in response with how to beat that. 
And Utah has always been known from, you know, even back when Jordan Holmes and I played them for having physical bodies up front, even if they aren't star names yet, forgive the pun, they may be guys that are, can be developed physically because they have a ton of bodies up there at front, big bodies. And, you know, being one of the Utah schools, you tend to get a lot of those guys that went on missions that come back. And when you have that extra two years of development, especially along the offensive and defensive line, that, that can mean a lot. And, you know, the, this is a team that's going to be big and strong and get into our predictions here in just a moment. But the, the fact is Utah is going to be next to Ohio State, probably the most legitimate physical threat Oregon has been up against all season at all positions. They're a team that I think matches up against Oregon in a very interesting way. Oregon shuts down basically what Utah likes to do most. It will be a battle of wills on both sides of the ball to see which one of these two teams can come out successful more times than not. Yeah. And, you know, I've been bouncing back and forth, whether uh, I, I, I think from what I've seen in person, I feel very, very confident. And then when I go back and watch the film, I go, man, I wish ESPN had some better cameras for these games. And then I go, actually, this is inconclusive. So I have a little more self-doubt than when I'm there live. Everyone knows my energy is all positive and I'm feeling go duckies all day. But I sit here and I reflect and go back and forth this week about this game. And man, the points throw them out in previous games. It feels like the uh, the transitive property of college football is definitely disproven when you look at these uh, common opponents here that we have. And uh, none more than that Stanford game. It's uh, It shows you exactly why that really doesn't matter. And when you take wins and losses into account, particularly talking to the college football playoff committee, uh, doesn't exactly matter what's on the scoreboard just get the win but there's a part of me that really thinks the duckies are going to come out and make a statement on the road this week you know what nick i would i would love to see that statement be made i think it's going to be a real tooth and nails type of ball game i think it's going to be a type of ball game where like we mentioned earlier Oregon might not want to reveal everything they have in their back pocket in one ball game so i think you will have some almost frustrating circumstances. We're going, why, why won't Oregon do more right here? It feels like they could be, but they're not. They're doing just enough. I think that that theme of just enough will carry on as we usually do. I'll let you give your final numbers first, but I do think that this is going to end up being a very close ball game. Well, you know what? The biggest thing is, is I really believe that this team, when they're on all cylinders, when hopefully we have coach Moorhead out there calling plays, I think there's they can beat anybody and they can beat them by double digits. And if everything goes well and we can run for maybe not even 300 yards, but a good 250 and getting another 200 in the air would be fantastic in this game. I see this one coming out. Ducky's 35, Ute 17. I think we're honestly going to have another really surprising game where it feels more dominant even than the score indicates at the end. I think that we're going to come out really surprise them early and not give them a chance to get back in it this time. I think we're going to learn from previous mistakes and know that when we're on the road, we have to be able to take a 14 point lead and build on it. And I'm really, really hoping that this team can learn from a couple of the mistakes that made last week's game way more close than it really, you know, should have been. You know what, Nick, I don't, I don't hate that score. I do think that Utah is capable of putting up a little bit more. I really like what I've seen out of their quarterback and running back over the last couple of weeks. And I think uh, 
Oregon's going to score a couple more times than you think they will. I just think that instead of a touchdown, they're probably going to have a couple field goals instead. I think Utah's got the type of physical team that can keep Oregon out of the end zone, especially in the red zone. I think there might be a couple of chip shot field goals in there that Oregon's able to hit. I'll put it at a final score. Oregon gets a six-point victory in what's going to be a tight ball game. 34-28, Ducks come away with the victory. Well, and based off last weekend's results, that can only mean that we're going to get a 35-28 ball game, my friends. If you're a betting man, go ahead and put that out there because that's uh, that seems to be the 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 uh, the theme so far, or at least the streak we're riding on. So, hey, you know what? Regardless. I hope it's a great game. I hope this team goes out and is prepared, but it's been a tough month for the ducks. You know, they've had to come out and really, really weather the storm already quite a bit. And it's you're either battle tested or battle scarred, and it's going to show a lot on Saturday. You know what? For some teams, I think it might be one and the same. I think this Oregon team's got some scars that they've absolutely learned from. Hopefully we can see those moving forward. Also, hopefully I'm not sure if it'll be this week, maybe next week, maybe the week after. There might be some bodies coming back from injury that Oregon will be very, very happy to have back. But that's all for another week. As for this week, you heard our final scores. Nick's going to give you the plugs, and then we're going to get out of here. Well, and yeah, and this week, thank you if you've still stuck around so far. And hopefully you're watching along on YouTube or listening along on your favorite podcasting platform. But we are now added on Anchor.fm. And if you're already listening on any of those regular platforms, nothing changes for you. Just makes it that much easier for us to get content to you directly and upload stuff for us instead of three or four places. Just one place directly and copy all our RSS feeds directly from there. So we're going to be up on a couple new different platforms over the next couple weeks. And we hope you check us out there and give us a good review, even if it's a new platform for you, some to check out, but as always, you can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Amazon music, uh, audible right here on YouTube or uh, anywhere else. Hopefully pretty soon we might be up with video on Spotify. I've already requested that, but the best way to get it is with you guys viewing and requesting it. So Go ahead, leave us a five-star review, and especially if it's on Spotify, tell them you want to see the video there. We have it available and ready. They just got to give us the opportunity to upload it, and they're giving it to certain channels first. So got to give us those clicks, baby. You absolutely do. As always, people, follow him at JustFollow61. Wherever you follow people on social media, myself, follow me at Samuel101TS, and of course, follow at OnceADuck. It, it really is the best the best Twitter account that I have on my phone that has to do with an Oregon athletics based podcast. Yeah. One of the many though, but Hey, oh, one of the several, you know what? It's the best place you can find an interview with former ducks that just gets real and goes places nowhere else goes. Cause that's once a duck, always a duck. Thanks guys. Go ducks. <laughs>